I think it would be in order for me to make an explanation even before I read the scripture today. Uh, how many of you were here yesterday? Were here yesterday? Most of you. Well, uh, one of our speakers, uh, Brother Danny Souter, Dr. Danny Souter, uh, spoke about uh, evangelism and witnessing. And uh, that, that's the kind of message that I had planned today also. And I talked to Brother Danny after the service and I told him, but I said, Brother Danny, I'm not going to change it. Because what he said just strengthened what I plan to say today. Enforced even more the Word of God in, in, uh, concerning that subject. And uh, I'm not trying to improve in any way on Brother Danny's message. He did a wonderful job and uh, but I just pray that these simple words that I give you today will in some way inspire you and me as well to try to be a greater witness for our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that I do not stand here before you today believing that I'm a perfect witness for Christ because I must confess that I'm not. I do talk to a good many people about their relationship with the Lord, but at the end of most days, I have to say, Lord, forgive me. I, I let some opportunities pass by today that I, I didn't really speak up for you in the way that I really should have. So I come in that spirit today. And uh, I'm approaching the message today sort of in an unusual way, I realize, for witnessing. Uh, but several months ago, Brother Ted talked to me and asked me would I helping these services <clears throat> this week, and I said that I would, and uh, thought about two or three messages that I possibly might try to preach, and never did really get any peace from God that that was the right thing. Then about a, three or four weeks ago, I really got serious about praying, Lord, I want to just preach what you want to preach. I want you to impress upon my heart the message that you want me to preach, and I believe this is what God has laid upon my heart to try to preach to you today. I'm reading two passages of scripture. The first is in the Old Testament in the 23rd chapter of the book of 2 Samuel. And I invite you to turn in your copy of the scripture to that passage. Then I'm reading the entire 10 verses of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Of course, one of Paul's writings. But first from 2 Samuel chapter 23. And I might say that when this scripture, this scripture talks about the latter part of David's life, it's long after he had uh, been anointed by the people at Hebron to be the king of Israel. It's long after his adulterous affair with uh, Bathsheba, even a good many years after the revolt of his son Absalom and his uh, death afterward. But David found himself fighting against the Philistines, as he often did. And I suppose that the killing of that giant was really what was the first thing that really made Davis, <coughs> rather David famous as he was. But this was many years later than that. But in the first part of 2 Samuel chapter 23, along with a few other things, mainly it talks about the 30 brave fighting men of David. It seems that these 30 men were especially courageous, played a very big part in, in the battles that David was fighting at this particular time. 
And then when we get to verse 13, where I will begin reading today, it singles out three of those and tells of an unusual thing that they did. But I pray that God will use today to show you and me, uh, challenge our hearts to see that if men would love an earthly king who indeed had feet of clay, that we might love our Savior and our Lord, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, uh, to try to do everything that we possibly could in order that we might please him. Would you listen prayerfully as we read from the inspired word of God? 2 Samuel 23, beginning in verse 13, the scripture says, And three of the thirty chief went down, came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam. And the troops of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephium. And David was then in the hold, the other versions I believe say stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, now listen to this, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host, rather broke, break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I would do this. Is not this the blood of men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. Well, the emphasis of all of this message today is that we would be challenged to see how much these men loved King David. And as we apply it to our hearts today, I pray that we'll see if someone would love uh, and admire and appreciate what a king had done for them such as David, that even more that we as children of God today might appreciate, be grateful, and have every desire of our fiber that we would want to please the Lord and do everything that he desired to be done. Now will you listen prayerfully as I read the entire 10 chapter verses of the first uh, book of Thessalonians. The scripture says, Paul and Silas and Timothy unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. 
For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God, to Godward is spread abroad, so that you need not speak, we not, need not speak anything. Isn't that wonderful? Three times in this book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul thanks God for this church at Thessalonica. And he thanked them because they gave great evidence that they were truly born again Christians. They'd received the word of God. They had, they had uh, uh, become followers of Paul as an example and even followed the Lord himself. But even more, Paul was uh, thanking them, thanking God for their extraordinary faith and commitment, their work of love, he calls it. And he went on to describe that to say that from you, the word of God has so sounded out that we need not speak anything. Wouldn't that be wonderful in Keller, Texas, Brother John? If we that make up the 2,000 or so members of this church was so involved in our community that uh, when uh, Keith and the staff and Brother Ted and all the other leadership of our church went out in the community to, on visitation to try to witness to people and tell them about Christ, uh, there wasn't anything to tell because they'd been told the whole story. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And he went on to tell them that they had turned from worthless idols uh, to serve the true and the living God, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom the Lord raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And I pray that the Lord will make his word very meaningful and relevant and applicable to our hearts uh, today. I said in the beginning that I want to talk to you today, not because I'm authority, not because I know all the answers about winning, witnessing and winning people to the Lord Jesus Christ, but I believe with all of my heart, dear friends, that that the Word of God teaches it, if I understand it correctly, that every born-again child of God in this dispensation of grace that we live in today is to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Brother Danny told us fairly clearly yesterday what a witness was. Uh, by and large, he said that a witness is one that tells what they know, what they've experienced, what they have seen. And I'm aware that the, early, the 12 apostles were to give uh, witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the credentials that they, uh, they had to meet, those men that they were considering electing to replace Judas, you remember, to become uh, another one to fill out the twelve. He had to be one that had seen Jesus in his resurrection. But you and I today, we, we certainly haven't seen, I haven't, the, the resurrected Lord in, in bodily form. We have his spirit within us. We know he is with us. But he has saved us by his grace. And he wants us to tell not only the gospel story of his death and resurrection, but to share with people what he has done in our personal lives. That's what these people at Thessalonica did. But friends, I want to say with all humility and love today, they had a story to tell. They had a testimony to give. And I really believe, and I'm not anyone's judge and God knowing my heart, I have no desire to say who's saved and who is not saved. But I will say this, according to the word of God, 
The person that's saved is a person that has the Lord Jesus Christ living within their heart. I believe the Apostle John makes it just as concise and clear as he possibly can in the fifth chapter of, of the first John when he said, this is the record that God has given to us eternal life and the life is in the Son. Now listen to this. He that hath the Son hath life and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. I never shall forget, I pastored Noxopeda Baptist Church where Keith walked forward as Brother Ted was talking about and made it known publicly that he was surrendering his life to preach the gospel. And uh, I, I was there nine years, I believe, as pastor and oh, probably in the eighth or ninth year that this happened, what I'm going to tell you about. We were having a senior citizens meeting there in our church. We had one uh, about every month, I believe, either there or at the Methodist Church. This was a small town, and everybody knew everybody there, and some of them were kinfolks. And uh, the, the Baptists and the Methodists had, had what they called sunshiners every month. And the senior citizens that were could would come and bring a covered dish with something in it, and we'd have a good meal together and always had a, a, someone to bring a devotion after the meal. And I remember, don't remember all how this came about, but I do remember a dear lady there that I really liked as a friend. She was a good bit older than me, if you can believe that. Of course, this is probably 20 years ago or more when this happened. But uh, never will forget, uh, and, and let me just back up and say, and not boasting or causing any attention to myself, but I, I believe most every time I preached, I would try to, bring out that, you know, you must have Jesus Christ. You must have a relationship with him. And this dear lady just shocked me off my feet. She said something about, Brother Wayne, uh, if anybody goes to heaven, I believe I will. I'm doing the best that I can. Something to that effect. And I just kind of told her, I said, uh, Miss Triplett, uh, let me tell you something. It's not how what you have done it's what Jesus has done. But she never did, as far as I know, come to know that truth and experience that truth in her life. So I want to tell you, even before I get started to preach it today, that uh, I remember the time in my life that I didn't have a testimony to give. Some of you heard me tell this before, and I don't want to sound repetitious, but I think it, I, I like to share my testimony anytime I preach because it was through another man's testimony that I did come to know the Lord. And I, I grew up in rural Mississippi and uh, we live about three miles from this village, really, way out in the country. And uh, went to this village church on Sundays and didn't at that time go on Wednesday night. My parents didn't. But anyway, uh, I was under the impression, and we didn't have a baptistry in that church. They, they baptized the baptismal candidates out in the stock pond. I think here in Texas you call it a tank, but we call it a pond. But anyway, uh, I was under the impression that this thing about becoming a Christian was, was mostly baptism. And if I could ever get up the nerve to let them put me under the water, I'd become a Christian. So I finally did, when I was about 10 years old, walk down the aisle on that revival meeting. It had every second 
week in August on a Friday night and told the preacher I wanted to join the church. That's what I said. They set me down on the front seat. No one asked me, did I, was I saved? Did I know how to be saved? Did I want to be saved? The church clerk came up after the service was over, got my name on the church road. They already knew who I was. And all of them came by and gave me the right hand of Christian fellowship, welcomed me to the church. About two weeks later, they baptized me out in the cattle pond, not too far from the church. And you know, all through my teenage years, I had no peace about being a Christian. I made other, my family also went to another church somewhere, my grandparents were members, where my dad was raised in another community. And when they'd have a revival, we'd go there. I remember going down when I was about 15 or 16 years old and supposed to gotten saved. And I'll tell you, the next day I was the most miserable person I think that ever lived because I knew had nothing really happened to me in my life. But when I was about 21 or two years old, I churched at Longview where, close to where I live, called a preacher that knew what it was all about. And I think every time he preached, regardless of what his subject on, he would bring out somewhere in that message, I know that I'm a child of God. I know I'm saved. Not doing that in an arrogantly boastful way, but wanting people to know that they could have a no-so salvation. And that challenged me. I knew that I was a, a member of the church, but I didn't know that I was a child of God. And I know one Sunday night, and I wasn't married at this time, I was living... I was working, but I was living at home with my parents, staying there at night. And I went to church there one Sunday night. I didn't go forward on the invitation, and, and the preacher told about, it's not in what we had done, and of course he was bringing his own experience in with this, it's what Jesus had done. That when Jesus died, he took all of our guilt and all of our sin, paid the price for it, was raised from the dead. If we look to him and call upon him and believe that he died for us, that we'd be saved. And I didn't go forward on the invitation, but I went to bed and the Spirit of God began rolling that around in my heart and my mind. And laying on that bed, I, I began to see that the Lord Jesus Christ died for Wayne Sanders' guilt. And I, I began to reason in my heart. I said, if that's the way it is, I must be saved. I must be a Christian because I do believe now, I see now that the Lord died for my sin. And if he took the guilt, I won't have to go to eternity where there's punishment and where there's hell and pay for it myself. And I want you to know that I've never been one of these preachers. I'm not now one that's always seeing visions or hearing voices. But the Spirit of God impressed upon my heart very clearly that night and said, you've never confessed me as Lord or you never received me as Lord. And I said, Lord, I look toward heaven. I said, Lord, I do now. I want you to come into my heart and save me. And friends, when I did that, that old burden just rolled away, rolled away. And I started singing in my, under my breath. And I don't sing much today because I can't sing. But I said, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And you know, about a, a year later, when I really started seriously seeking the Lord's will for my life, I had to do exactly that. He called me to preach, and I, I responded. And I had an aunt that said, when she heard about me, she didn't live, didn't go to the same church that we did, and, and she found that out, and 
She said, uh, that boy will never preach. He can't even look you in the face and talk to you. <laughs> and I've been at it about 55 years now. And I've seen a few people come to the Lord. But I say all of that because to say that that's what those people at Thessalonica had. They had a personal experience with the Lord. That's why they wanted to share with others. That's why they wanted to talk to other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. So briefly, there are just a few things that I want to go over with you, and our time is moving on quickly. But first of all, I want to see us to see the basis of being a witness for Christ, the biblical basis of being a witness. As Brother Danny said so clearly yesterday, the first five books of the New Testament all in some form give the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and of course, as he said yesterday, in the book of Acts. But I want to just call your attention very briefly to two of those. That's the one in Matthew, and then just say one other word about the book of Acts. Now, I emphasize again, not trying to improve on anything he said, but in the book of Matthew, in the last chapter, you remember, verses 18 through 20, the scripture says that the disciples met in Galilee on a mountain that Jesus had already designated them to meet him there. This was after his resurrection. He met with them. And they, well, they met with Jesus, and I, uh, because of the shortness of time, I'm not going to turn there to read it, but I think I can tell you what it says. Uh, the scripture says, Jesus said, All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore in all the world and make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Well, I want to think just a moment about that word authority. Uh, in, the, in the book of Romans chapter 1 verse 4, Paul says, speaking of the resurrection of Jesus, he says, God the Father hath declared with power uh, that, that this is his son through the resurrection from the dead. In other words, he is saying that God spoke very loudly and very clearly uh, that this is his son when he raised Jesus from the dead. Well, Jesus said after his resurrection, all authority is given unto me. Go ye therefore and, and make disciples of all people. Well, I believe that Jesus is saying there anything that he might have given up. We know the Bible tells us in the book of Philippians that Jesus thought it not robbery to be with God, but made himself of no reputation and was born a servant and lived among men. But Jesus, anything that he had given up in his incarnation, through his resurrection, he is reclaimed. It's been given back. All power and authority is given unto me. And on that basis, now you are to go, I'm sending you into all the world to be a witness unto me. So I want you to know, dear friends, when we go out, knock on our neighbor's door and try to tell them about Jesus Christ, we're doing the right thing. We're doing what the Lord has, has told us to do. We don't go in our name, we go in his name. And then I call your attention very quickly to that in the book of Acts. Danny read the eighth verse. I, don't, I believe this is said uh, in a verse or two before or after that. Uh, Jesus said, you know, they were asking, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of God? Jesus said, 
that's not for you to know, but you're, after the Spirit of God has come upon you, you're to be witnesses to me all over the world. But did you realize that he said, wait, wait in Jerusalem, tarry in Jerusalem till the Spirit has come. Now he emphasized yesterday, you remember how important it was to be filled and walk in the Spirit in order to be a witness for God. And I truly believe, dear friends, that's why most of us today fail in this, this so, much, so important task is because we do not continually walk filled with the Spirit of God. And when the time comes to witness, the opportunity comes to witness, we're really not ready for it. Do you remember what Paul said there in the book of Romans? He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it, to the Jew first and also the Greek. And he went on to say, I'm ready uh, to preach the gospel that, to, to you that are in Rome also. I believe Paul stayed on ready. He stayed on ready because he had a close walk with the Lord. But getting back to what I said earlier, he told them, Jesus told those disciples to tear at Jerusalem till the Spirit comes upon you. Now, now think about this. The whole, the entire Gentile pagan world is waiting out there. As far as I know, I could be wrong. Jesus never went outside of, of Palestine to, wit, to, to talk about the kingdom of God. Neither did he send the disciples. You remember when he sent them out, he said, you just go to the children of Israel. But a whole pagan world, virgin territory, if you could call it that. The gospel has never been carried, but Jesus said, you better not go until the Spirit of God comes upon you. So friend, we're spinning our wheels today till the Spirit of God uh, fills us and empowers us and we have that as he said yesterday, that abiding in him where we know the presence of the Lord is with us. But I must hasten on. Ted wants to get out of here in a little bit. <clears throat> Secondly, I want us, we've seen the biblical basis for witness. I want us to talk a little about, about the motivation of witnessing for Christ. You know, I think when we think about a personal witness, we, we almost, and talk about an example of a personal witness, we all must think about the Apostle Paul. I appreciate it, and I know you do, this man so much. He's not Jesus, but I believe he was probably the greatest uh, follower of Jesus the world has ever known. It didn't matter if Paul was chained to a, a Roman soldier. It didn't matter if he was standing for King Agrippa. It didn't matter if he was standing on a stairwell facing a, a, a howling mob of his fellow Jews. I'll guarantee you he would share the Lord Jesus Christ with him. Paul was a man that had a great love, especially for his own people, the Jews. You remember he wrote in the ninth chapter of Romans, recorded in verse one or two, one and two, he says, I would that I would even be a curse from Christ if it would help cause my fellow Jews, my brethren according to the flesh to be saved. Then he said in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, have gone about to establish their own righteousness. What is he talking about? See, Paul was not satisfied just because his fellow Jews had religion up to the gills. He knew if they didn't have the Lord Jesus Christ, they were not saved. 
And someone might be thinking about now, well, preacher, what about this matter of election? Don't you think all those elect are going to be saved anyway? Well, I believe whatever your theological persuasion is about election, you must agree that uh, evangelism and witnessing an election go together. That's what he said there, and that, that's why one reason I read it there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He said, knowing your election of God, they had all the evidence that they had a true experience of grace with God, and that was because it started in the heart of God. They were elected. But he commended them because they were out in the community and areas, even past their own boundaries, telling other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, evangelism and election go together. Most of what, a lot of what we have in our New Testament about the doctrine of election comes from the Apostle Paul, and I, I believe that he, he was the greatest soul winner that the world's ever known. And Paul had a great love for his people, and I hear people today say, oh, that, that's what makes a great soul winner is, is the loving lost souls, and certainly that's needed. I would not deny a bit of that. But friends, I'll tell you in all honesty, I believe the thing that made Paul the consistent uh, soul winner and, and witness for Christ that he was, was that he wanted to honor Christ, that he wanted uh, to see praise from those lost pagans come to Christ when they come to know the truth about him. He wanted to know, see those Jews that had, had called for his crucifixion and turned thumbs down upon him, know that indeed he was the Messiah that Isaiah had promised, that Micah had promised would be born at Bethlehem. He, want, he, 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 he wanted to lift up and honor the name of Christ. And I ask you again, dear friends today, think about the, I don't know whether to call it love or not, but at least appreciation and gratitude and admiration that these people had for, these three men had for David when they risked their own lives and, and maybe crawl through the lines of those Philistines that was, was between the cave of Abdullam and, and that well at Bethlehem when David only wished. And, and some of the translations, you probably have one that says David craved for the water at, at the well at Bethlehem and said, oh, how I would like to have a drink of that water at Bethlehem. And he didn't ask these men to go. In fact, when they brought it back to him, he poured it out, would not drink. And he said, I can't drink this. This is blood. These men jeopardized their own lives for my sake to get this water. He was greatly touched by it. But let, let's think about something just a moment. <coughs> David was the eighth son of Jesse. Jesus was the only begotten son of the Father. David defeated the giant to save Israel physically. Jesus defeated death to save us from hell. David shed the blood of his enemies to defend Israel Jesus gave his own blood to, that we might be redeemed from our sins. Now let me ask you, dear friends, who should love the one the most? Ted, what time was we supposed to quit? Ten till or five till? Uh, five. Okay. 
I, I've read the scripture a good many times over the last 56 or 7 years probably, but I never read it that it doesn't bring a, guilt, a bit of shame and guilt upon me. These men had such feeling, if you could call it that, such love for this man David, such admiration, such respect, such gratitude, that they were willing to risk their own lives in order that his very wish might be granted. I want to say just a word before I close about the rewards of witnessing. I think one of the greatest rewards in being a witness for Christ is, is, is feeling that joy and, and contentment and fulfilling knowing we're doing the will of God. Told you before, I'm not bragging on this, really wish it wasn't true, but it is. I, I don't take advantage of every opportunity the Lord puts in front of me to be a witness for Him. But when you do, know you've done what God wants you to do, it, it brings a sense of peace and satisfaction and fulfillment. I think about what the Lord said there is recorded in the fourth chapter of John. Uh, Jesus was on the well there when the, the Samaritan woman came to Him. You remember, you remember the conversation they had. Well, the disciples had gone into town to get a bologna sandwich. They came back and uh, Jesus was talking to the woman. They didn't understand all that. Anyway, later on in the conversation, uh, they said something about Jesus eating. And he said, I have eat, meat to eat that you know not of. What was he talking about? He said, the meat that I eat is something about, I can't quote this verbatim, but he said, it's doing the will of the Father. I do know what he, I believe I know what he meant by saying that. He meant the thing that really gives me satisfaction is not a T-bone steak, not a bologna sandwich, nothing wrong with that. But he said the thing that gives me fulfillment is doing the will of my Father. Friends, I'll tell you, I believe what that may be one reason there's so much lack of contentment among people that are supposed to be Christians. They're trying to find it somewhere else. We're looking at things in the world when we need to be looking at people. Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Look on the field. They're white and harvest. And I'll say this and I'll quit. <clears throat> if Jesus would come to your house today and just say to you and say to me concerning my street, you know, I, I, would, I wish that everybody on this street knew, knew about me. They knew, they would, that they knew that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And I am that only begotten son. That whosoever believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Would you do what those three brave men did back in the book of 2 Samuel? Would you hazard your life? Would you jeopardize your life in order that you might fulfill what Jesus desired and wanted? Well, let me say something to you, as humble as I know how. He's already said that because he wants every person to know the truth. He might not appear to you in person and said that, but it's said in the Word of God. He wants every person to know the truth. 
Would you be willing to commit yourself to be that kind of witness for the Lord Jesus Christ? And I say again, when I got one finger pointed your way, I got four pointed back to myself. Because in no way would I want you to believe today that I believe that I'm a perfect witness. But that's my desire. Say a good word for Jesus to everybody I meet.